0: Libertarians, anarchists, and agorists, this is This Week in Liberpods, where we take a look at some of the best of and clips from all that the web has to offer as far as libertarian podcasting go. So without further ado, let's get into the show and see what we got. Welcome to This Week in Liberpods, I'm Nikki P, and I'm going to be showing you Just a little bit of what is out there in the libertarian world as far as podcasts go. This is the inaugural episode, so we have just a few clips today. Hopefully as we grow this thing, we'll have a lot more people involved and get a lot more people willing to show off what they got. So we can make those walls between libertarians just a little bit smaller. See, when I look out and I think there's podcasts that I discover sometimes that have a year a year of podcasting under their belt before I ever discover them, I like to be in on the new stuff. I like to know when things are hopping. And unfortunately, we sometimes get a little clicky in the libertarian community, and I don't think that's necessarily that we get clicky. I think sometimes the algorithms just kind of keep us talking to the people that we normally talk to. So what I want to do with this show is I want to try and bridge some gaps and let people know that these 20 people that we talk to on the regular aren't the only people we talk to. The libertarian movement's not that big, folks, so there shouldn't be groups of people that I don't know. Anyways, so today I have four different clips. Next step, maybe I have five different clips. Or six. I don't remember. It's getting late and I'm kind of (laughs) tired. But I'd like to start out with uh, a clip by my good buddy Luke Tatum over at the Culture of Peace podcast, where he talks to libertarians and tries to focus in on who the people are. Let's get to know the people because ultimately the people are what we got to get around. So let's take a look and see what he's got going on over in his little neck of the woods.
1: I took a seminar class my 3L year, my last year of law school, and I wrote a big paper about how we can solve, quote unquote, solve the problem of domestic violence if instead of having the state enforce restraining orders, we instead handed it over to uh, private security firms, a la Detroit Threat Management Center. And I know that Detroit Threat Management Center, um, it's not, you know, they're not ideologically driven by maybe our pursuits, um, but I illustrated the case law and how um, the government is not bound legally to enforce restraining orders you can't sue them if they fail to enforce a restraining order um, and you die or you have children murdered and this is uh castle rock v gonzalez is a um, supreme court case in which um, a woman in in colorado had a restraining order and the Um, against her estranged husband and the estranged husband showed up and stole her kids from the front lawn and while the husband stole the children she contacted the castle rock police department eight times throughout the evening and through an eight hour period of time eight hours plus they didn't do anything about it and it turns out that at the at the end of the story her estranged husband ended up showing up at the police station with the two girls dead in the front seat of his truck, and he committed suicide via cop. So, Gonzalez, yeah, yeah, this has really happened. And uh, Gonzalez sued, I think it was in 1983, um, it's a civil rights claim. So, she sued for civil damages in the non-enforcement of the restraining order. And in her dissent, Ruth Bader Ginsburg stated... Be it, well, the Supreme Court ruled that no, you can't get civil damages through the Fourteenth Amendment in 1983. Um, but in her dissent, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she wanted civil damages um, for the non-enforcement. So she stated in her dissent: Surely, if Miss Gonzalez had contracted with a private security firm and the sec- private security firm failed to enforce the restraining order, she could sue for damages on this. But just because the state is involved. Um, We can't uphold that, at least through the 14th Amendment.
0: Wow. So not always the most uplifting stories that us libertarians have to tell, unfortunately. Uh, I can say right now, Luke has a whole lot of fun stories over there, just as much as I've heard listen to people talk about video games, just as much as the heavy and the nitty gritty. Uh, That's him actually talking to a good friend of ours, Patrick McFarlane from the liberty weekly podcast so well he didn't send me a clip i feel no problem promoting him it's a great podcast uh next up on the docket we have everyone's favorite mark claire from the alliance of liberty having a discussion with some of the people out there trying to do good within the libertarian community this week
2: this illustrates just the irrational and i think because there's so many perverse incentives in government primarily for politicians to just look good enough to, to say in office that, I mean, something that on its own surface is so irrational. I mean, it's so irrational because it's you're just reporting what nature did. You know what I mean? It, this should not be something that should require a cover-up. And yet, because of the way politics are and it's all about image – numbers are bad numbers of deaths are bad it doesn't matter if it was nature that caused it politicians are are incentivized to just make things look as good as possible regardless of if, if, if the cause even makes sense for them to cover up and i mean no one is going to think oh a politician well i shouldn't say some people don't think that politicians cause hurricanes because that's, that's a whole different subject but <laughs> that's for your conspiracy <laughs> corner we time to- <laughs> yeah we don't have time to get into that one but <laughs> <laughs> They don't mean it in this way necessarily, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an, another example, and I think from all three of you, I've heard examples of, of a concept that can be very difficult to, I think, portray to people sometimes, and that's the idea that sometimes the best thing that the government can do, and by sometimes, I personally mean always, I just don't always say this to newbies, but really, for the, for the most part, the best thing that the government can often do, especially in disaster situations, Is just not do anything. It's just get out of the way. Now, I'm not talking about individual acts when there's people that happen to work for government agencies that that go and and save people. Even though I might disagree with the funding method and the organizational method, good. I'm still happy when people are saved. But the other end of that is all, and we've heard so many stories from all of you, the preventative end of that where – They can they monopolize the entire thing. Uh, Great, send in the national guard to save people. Don't stop other people from doing the same, and that's that's somehow they're incentivized to prevent this quote unquote PR competition from even helping people on the ground. It's an awful incentive.
3: Yeah, and I I think I just want to highlight I want to highlight what you said because I think it's important to understand that when the government steps in and says anytime there's a disaster we're going to take care of it anytime there's uh, there's someone who's in trouble we're going to take care of it. It disincentivizes everyone else from getting involved when it's everyone else who will be the most effective at helping those, helping the people in need in those moments. Um, and so I just I find I I find frustration with that as well. I, I wish that when the when when whenever something bad happens, whenever there's a disaster, I wish that, that there was room for individuals to get involved because I think those are that's going to be the be- everyone's best shot at um, at having lower death tolls and having more effective help.
2: Right, I think that might be a better approach uh, marketing-wise for a lot of libertarians to take. Even though I want a lot of these programs to end, maybe we spend less time advocating their end, at least to, to everybody else out there. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't advocate their end, but at least start with the point of, okay, keep doing what you're doing but let us do it too. And and then naturally, but there's there's a reason they don't do that. But but natu- naturally, which is kind of what, what you guys are doing um, overall, but specifically what Dan is doing with We Do Better is trying to literally just show, here's why we do it better. Just let us do it and then everyone will see, oh, this works better. And then, but then the problem being, problem being for politicians, that is what will crowd them out of the <laughs> scenario. And then what do they do? Go get a job? I mean, <laughs> what, In the that? actual workforce? I mean, can you imagine? Like, I, I don't know. I I do have an amazing fantasy of just like retired politicians who are irrelevant once we like stop, you know, caring about that stuff and they're all just like working at Walmart greeting people and, you know, we're nice to them and they're nice to us, but we all look at each other and we kind of know what went on.
0: Turning people in Congress and government into Walmart greeters. I like the idea. Sound. How do we start working on this? Where do we start lobbying, petitioning? Is there a non-political way to enforce this? Anyways, so our next clip coming at you rapid fire is from the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. Rachel Kennerly talks to those who have been helped by the healing power of cannabis. It's not what I'm using cannabis for, but to each their own. And I'm glad that people are getting some value out of it. So let's get to our next clip.
4: We were within minutes of being next on the dais, and my husband went into a full grand mal seizure on the Florida Senate floor. Um, and it's the worst seizure I've ever seen my husband have in my life. I, I legitimately thought he was going to die that day on the floor. He almost bit his tongue in half. He was green. Um, it was it was terrible. I was almost hysterical, Um there was an anesthesiologist there who, you know, came and helped while we were waiting for the paramedics. And uh, I, I remember yelling, "Does anybody have any CBD or any marijuana oil with them? Because I couldn't bring it into the Capitol with him, or I would have been arrested." So We had none. I had the one thing that could save my husband right there. I didn't have. Paramedics came, um, stabilized my husband. Once I realized he had broken the seizure, it took forever. Uh, they were wheeling him out and, uh, I switched from panic to just anger (laughs) and I turned around and I looked at all these politicians up on the DS and I said, this is what happens when you guys try and play God. And if you don't knock it off, people like my husband are going to die. So, uh, that wound up in 400 newspapers worldwide. So any ideas we had about being in the weed closet were off the table at that point in time. Um, But in a very weird and very painful way for my husband, it wound up being one of the best things that could happen because the legislature, or at least a a significant uh, number of influential people in the Senate saw what happens. And they finally decided to pass the implementation laws, including public use, which would allow people like me who don't have a medical marijuana card to be able to give my husband the cannabis he needs uh, in public without getting arrested. Because previous to that time, I would have been arrested for saving my husband's life on the Senate. Was anybody
0: there that had something that you could give to your husband or did he just kind of have to finish out the. Nobody
4: answered it. He had to run the full course of his seizure. Um, We were told later from some people that we got to know through that time that they had it. But everybody was terrified that if they offered it to me, that they would be arrested. So, you know, it was this terrible situation where, you know, you're in a room full of people, half of which know and have have on their body something that can save my husband, but nobody would speak up for fear of going to jail.
0: That is a terrible
4: testament to the environment that we're in. That I'm
0: afraid to save someone's life yep. because I'm going to go to jail. Exactly. Wow. If you didn't hate cops enough before, But you're libertarian, so I imagine you already did hate cops enough before. Or maybe we can never hate cops quite enough. That is a very, very good thing to ponder. So, next up on this inaugural episode is the Free Markets Green Earth Podcast that I host with Ben Pangy of the Homesteads and Homeschools Podcast where we talk about environmentalism from a capitalist perspective like, to me it's super imperative like so imagine you find a way to grow actual land plants out on the ocean without increasing you know carbon footprint you find a way to essentially create increase the land mass of the the world for food production which is a, a genuine possibility how amazing is that for like the planet? It would. It would.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, if if you do it, you know, you could do it in such a way that you actually increase the ability to. But then, you know, you're, no matter what, you're going to run into the same bullshit. They're going to say, "Oh, well, the you having that house up there affects the light getting into the oceans, and it kills the ocean life there because you're affecting the sunlight." And
3: yeah. There's a but you know, and that's it. there's always trade offs and, and like you said earlier, we're uh we're only concerned about right here and right now and you know, this this uh I don't know. Not ecosystem. Can thing, you imagine but, uh, if we
0: could create an extra an extra acre of growing space on the planet through seasteading? Uh, that'd be cool. <laughs> like like actual ocean-based fish hatcheries where you, you actually can increase, you know, the growth of uh, aquatic livestock in a natural environment.
3: You can grow mermaids and harvest mermaids. No, but, like, that's that's seriously something. And I've always been fascinated um, with how little I think we know about, like, oceans and stuff. Um you know, we we supposedly know all this stuff about space and all this, you know. But really, like, we don't know a whole lot about like the. We, all, we, also, of the ocean. we also
0: went to the moon, yeah. right? Yeah,
3: that's what I mean. You know, we we know about all this stuff, um, but we don't even
0: pretend to know shit about like the ocean, seriously.
3: Or even like you know the middle of the earth. Like it's all this sort of hypothetical. Like this is what you know um, our our physicists say things will be like, but there's so much energy and there's so much, I'm sure if, if, if somebody wanted to put the money into it and, and develop a technology to pull food out and to create, you know, food from the ocean, it it could be there. Um, you know, and maybe we'll get there one day when we, you know, run out of arable, you know, land, but I, I don't know. I do think it's, uh, interesting it, it would be something that would help for sure
0: but you know but you know what I trust as a as a better way to get through that situation than relying on government oh no <laughs> R- re- relying on a bunch of people that have self-preservation in mind not people trying to coerce money into one district versus another because I mean that's, that's the thing when you start getting into like any kind of uh, initiative you, you see, even on in, like the best case scenario where they're like Really want to help and do good by people. You you have a situation where you know congressmen are making decisions about where a, pro- a project is going to be initiated, and you know you 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 suggest the project in California where like there's a growing season that you could say have the initiative actually do something, and then they end up. Shipping the like they actually are saying well you know this works better in this district in New York State as an initiative to as a place to start it and you're like well but the plan doesn't work in New York you know well but we need the jobs up here so let's 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 set the program up here so we can start the jobs program that this is going to become and and then it doesn't. You ever listen to two knuckleheads talk about sea and growing forests in the ocean quite so much? I'll be honest, that is just a tiny, tiny bit of all the talking we did about growing scrap on the oceans. So, I have one last clip from you, and this is also from another podcast that I do, just because I needed clips to start out this inaugural episode. So I'll say right now, if you have a podcast that you already love and you want it to be considered, send it my way so I can get in contact and hopefully get them on here so that we can start promoting all of our favorite podcasts, to those in the community who may not know who they are already. Sure, Lions of Liberty is a, a big fish in the small pond, but there's a lot of little fish that need to be out there and need to get some love too. And to do that, I need your help. So send me a, a line at nickyp at And we will make this thing grow and hopefully grow the community as it is. Because if there's one thing that I care about above many, many other things, it's the libertarian community. I want to help as much as I can get past some of the bickering and infighting and realize that we are all brothers in this. And we need to do whatever we can to create a line of communication between the ideas. So I'm going to send you out here with a clip from the most recent Sounds Like Liberty podcast. And have a good day.
5: Um, I'm a huge Wilco fan. Oh, nice. You might, might notice that sort of in the arrangement. What's Jeff, your Tweedy. favorite
0: Wilco album? Oh, that is an impossible question That's, not, that's <laughs> not an impossible <laughs> question.
5: A Ghost is Born, I, I love... Um, I think the dynamics on that record are amazing. That's that's actually the that album I sent to my mastering engineer Evan Bradford as an example of kind of how we wanted to approach it sonically. That's the, uh,
0: mm-hmm. That is probably that opening song is one of the most dynamic recordings. Like, yes, because you literally it forces you to crank your stereo to get that yep. vocal on the beginning of it. So when those the rest of it kicks in, you're just getting punched in the ears exactly, by the guitar. And I exactly love it. it.
5: Blows your hair back. Oh my and, god! That yeah. we actually tried to kind of mimic that and hammer and sickle track so at the mm-hmm. beginning you know it, it opens with uh, a Mises monologue and I started that really quiet on purpose to kind of do the same thing it, it's at that midway point in the yeah. album where you know you might have your mind might be wandering or something so it kind of makes you tune in and, and mm-hmm. actually turn your dial up That's
0: where traditionally so, you'd split the record in half and that's where you flip it maybe <laughs>
5: yep yep yeah, exactly. Yeah, excellently said. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of Wilco and uh, Portugal the Man. I think we're all fans of. Yeah. Definitely the older stuff. Um, they've kind of gone in a very pop direction since they've gotten signed. But their uh, their first several albums, I think, were just incredible.
0: Well, Liz and I were talking their- about him. It's funny that it's like, so there's a band from Alaska. And and as opposed right. to picking a name that's gonna sell, they go way the other way and pick like the dumbest <laughs> name ever.
5: Oh I know. Like yeah. as
0: if you weren't making it hard enough on yourselves.
5: <laughs> yep. Yeah, I saw an interview with them where they were like, "We really regret that," and yeah. mostly like the punctuation. The, it's the yeah, period. Portugal, of the period after period. It's like. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I've heard it just gave them hell.
4: <laughs> I can only imagine.
5: <laughs> You're not supposed to have a period in your name. So where's that? So I decided we should put a dash
0: in the
5: middle of the artist.
0: There we go. <laughs> we don't have no problems. Oh man, but yeah, I I I don't dislike the the more pop fare that they're doing now. Like it, it's definitely catchy. It does what it needs to do, and I'm always happy to see artists going out and actually making money because right,
4: not, yeah. not the
0: most easy of industries to do that in. But yeah, but yeah we can always respect when they come from something worthwhile. Yeah. So yeah, just, totally. I just want to point out that Liz is kind of over here getting a little verklempt. She hears the accents, and it's doing something for
4: her. <laughs> the accents? <Yeah. laughs> <You hear> accents?
0: <laughs> Come on, you can hear that 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 talking
5: there.
4: Oh, oh, the southern drawl. <laughs> right on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's, they were doing their best to cover it up, but I could hear it sneaking through. I'm just saying. Right on. <laughs> Anyways, so
4: well.
0: here's the thing. Um, Music is super important to me, and I have a million answers to this question. I actually had a guest the other day that I was confused, didn't have a, uh, an actual musician who couldn't answer this question, and I was confused by it. I, are, are there any moments that you think back on that are just inextricably linked to a song or an album or type of music that you can can remember?
5: Oh, I mean, that's, that's kind of a big question. Like I said,
2: a million answers...
0: If That's, you want yeah. the, the simple one, I always tell is like, "What was the, f- the song you got laid to, the first time?"
5: Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, it more of a Barry White situation <laughs> More of like a Little John situation? <laughs>